We've got Charles Wilson Sr. and Dennis Leary here today, and we're going to be talking about Dennis's career and, and probably some of his, his life and upbringing in Walnut Grove. And uh, you're a legend around these parts. Nobody has a bad thing to say. So who'd you bribe? <laughs> I haven't really tested that uh, to see how how far I could uh, steal from others, or I haven't tried that. So uh, let me make one little quick cor correction. Dennis is actually Dennis Leary Jr. No, no, my name my name actually is just Dennis Leary. Oh, I didn't know that. And my dad was Dennis William. My grandfather uh, was Dennis Leary only. I'm named after my grandfather. Technicality. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. We're already getting There's it. already something I didn't know. <laughs> okay. Well. <laughs> so what you're saying is is, is you've, you've pretty much always done right by people out here and been honest with them, especially in terms of business. Dennis is very humble, but I can attest to that. Yeah. Uh, he's extremely fair and reasonable. Um, uh, on top of everything, no question about that, uh, but always approaches it with, uh, uh, if there is a problem, how do we solve it and how do we move forward? And uh, frankly, we've had very few problems, uh, generally some accounting over Thanks. how many years? Uh, how many years? Well, uh, I was in the service from 50 to 54. Um, Which service? In in uh, Air Force. And uh, though I did spend one year in uh, Korea during the 51, uh, be 51, 52. So the war, yes, the war was going on. Um, came back and so I certainly had a, a minor part for some years and um, one Christmas uh, I would say about 59 I believe uh, my dad uh, made this um, yeah, I want you to share in 10% of the of the net profit and uh, ended up later with about uh, 30 percent and <laughs> uh, my brother joined me in the 70s and um, so I've been at it since then uh, about 40 years between that and 91 after both parents had died and the property was split off among the four of us. And then the largest part of the open land was sold by a younger sister. And at that time, um, after 91, it was in 93, that um, uh, Charles and company were the farmers for the orchard, and uh, Daryl Ferreira was the farmer of the open land, and so um, my brother had uh, allergies that were just a very, very annoying to him, and wanted out, and at that point we decided to give up I was 64 and a half or something <laughs> so it's pretty early to retire but it was the it was the thing to do so so your family was like your parents were already in agriculture and was it pears they um my grandfather um Arrived in this area in um, probably about 1867, 
Damn. And he had been in the Union Navy, and uh, the war was over. And as they were leaving to return to Panama, I would say, because they, the, the Navy was shipping people across Panama from boat, from ship on one side to the ship on another. So he did walk across Panama on his way over. And um, he uh, jumped ship, five of them did, as they were going out the Golden Gate, and then two of them drowned, three of them made it. And so that's how we arrived in California. And um, the first property that he had in his own name was in 1879, and um, so he probably arrived with zero dollars in his pocket because he was the youngest on this ship. He he wasn't the the pilot or the captain. He um, he was the, the one of the lo lonely crew member. Um. His history is more interesting than mine because he um, accumulated uh, approximately 600 acres uh, of property, and he is that a he, lot? Had, he had um, he had um, met uh, A. P. Giannini as a when A.P. Giannini was not a banker, but was a fruit buyer for his fam for his wife's family, Scatina, I think, and company, and um, so uh, during his adult life, he was accumulating Bank of America stock, and um, so that helped. The next couple of generations <laughs> that helped. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, so uh, he, uh, but he, um, he uh, financed half of uh, a quarter, rather, with a, a partner, uh, first cousin of his. Uh, they had. Um, 49% of two different dredges that put up most of the levees on Grand Island. And uh, so my allegiance has been very much toward seeing that Grand Island maintains its place as one of two, only two islands that at one point where the didn't flood last time the whole valley was in water underwater so uh, uh whether um it its location is is uh, unique because it's 17 miles long and the river drops quite a few feet during that um, 17 miles and opens onto the, the bay in front of Rio Vista that um, when it was dredged uh, kept made a lot of difference for the island and the water has never been as high again as it had been for some years from the hydraulic dredging and the, the settling of the... Uh, of all of that uh, in the, the in front of Rio Vista and cutting off the flow out of the river. So, yes, farming has been what I have done. Uh, I once told my parents while I was in Phoenix uh, for two years in the service uh, that I might stay there. And within about three days, I had them visiting to make sure that I was going to return to the ranch. And uh, just a few days ago, I remember thinking about 
how we uh, how we tried to get uh, laborers at one point in the 40s and uh, we're driving taking a vehicle to Sacramento in the morning and going to Skid Row and signaling some of the um, the winos I guess you'd say to get on the the truck and getting the worst drunks let them sober up on the street and uh, so I, uh, that was the lowest point I thought in my those 40 years of farming if that is what a farmer has to do I'm not too sure that I want to do it but it turned out we haven't been picking up labor at off skid row for some since that time um the Dennis can can I ask you who planted the pear trees at um, the home ranch the home ranch on the north side which uh, the the Gualco side it's it's 280 acre parcels the front orchard uh was planted in 1922 1915 over 100 years old and uh the the orchard around the house uh was planted in 22 it wasn't until 48 that additional uh well i think actually only four rows the first time was planted behind a hedgerow of poplar trees that we didn't take the poplar trees down to a few years after. <coughs> we started planting right up to them. So there is one row there that was planted exactly where this row of poplar trees was. Um, the first pear trees that my grandfather planted were below ride below the first property that he owned was on that uh, he planted 40 acres he uh, he went to Fresno to watch what they were doing cutting blight and <coughs> came home and took out 40 acres of pears and um, my dad planted uh, pears at Ride um, just about that same time, 22, uh, that was a big battle to keep these very vigorous trees from having, uh, blight. And, uh, but he was able to, to spend the money. And I think one time, uh, your grandfather, uh, told him at Ride, that that's a losing battle, Dan. You should just give up. Um, and luckily, they didn't give up because they are the best sizing, uh, I guess, producing uh, trees that we now have at the at his uh, at his death. Uh, he's a sip of water here. Was that my grandfather Wilson or yes. grandfather? Oh, Wilson. Mm -hmm. And Charles, while well, he's getting a drink of water, pear trees can live in perpetuity, right? They they can if if taken care of properly. And that's that's somewhat unique as far as orchards go. Absolutely. Right? I believe there's some uh, trees in England that are over 200 years old. Wow, and cherry trees don't live. No, no, cherry trees. No, in and out. Peaches, same thing. Okay, I've got. Yeah, there were there were trees at um, property on Grand. It was uh, we referred it to Crofton, and uh, twelve by twelve, I believe, was the planting, and. Uh, those trees all are have been removed since, but uh, they they were quite healthy for quite some time. 
Dennis, tell me about Vanderhoff. Who? Tell me about Vanderhoff. Vanderhoff. Interesting family. It's the Isaac Hall, I believe, was the um, the owner, the first owner, and he had several daughters, and and um, a son. The son became a tutor on the Hearst property at San Simeon. <laughs> The daughters stayed on the ranch. Um, the one daughter, uh, Carrie Hall, uh, <clears throat> Carrie's sister, uh, daughter married Vanderhoff. So um, that's how that name gets into it. It's uh, it was Hall property until they wanted to sell and they came to my dad and uh, I remember sitting in the orchard with him and we were sitting <laughs> we were sitting in the orchard um I wanted to buy it my dad didn't think it was that important and um because he was ne not used to having any mortgage uh, at all. He did not have a mortgage from the time he got the property after my grandfather's death in 26 until uh, we bought that property. And um, so uh, it uh, it was a very unique uh, uh, piece of, of of land because when last time Grand did flood, uh, Isaac Hall did not want to pay the special assessment to the reclamation district because he didn't have any water on his land, and uh, he didn't he didn't win that argument, but um, he tried. Um, so now it has. Uh, it has avocados and uh, uh, a lot of other uh, early fruit, so I, I don't think that it would flood today if the island did flood. It is, uh, it's about 13 feet at the levee above sea level. It's the highest point on Grand Island, correct? Yes. And uh, uh, now uh, Charles Jr. has a collection of uh, fruit out there for the gift basket company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I I uh, owned it for some years, and when my sister wanted to sell, my younger sister and her husband wanted to sell a 319-acre parcel. I had by that time bought 160 acres right next to it that connected to the river, and they did not have river access um, at that point. So it made a much better sale for them, and that's how I got Vanderhoff. I traded, um, I traded 160 acres for 90 acres. And um, I got the best part of the deal, except that open land became much more valuable <laughs> than orchard land at one point there because people were putting grapes in. And, and it's, uh, that, too, was a very high um, parcel and uh, no, uh, there would be no chance of flooding on the first half of that 160 acres. So, uh, Dennis, could I go into uh, uh, a couple of specifics? Um, yes. But I want to start with um, kind of the, the story that I know you've told over and over again. Um, and I keep 
getting confused on it. Tell us the story about, uh, I guess it was your father and A.P. Giannini, the founder yeah. of... Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yes, he, Giannini, before he started the Bank of Italy, and I, I can't give you the years, but uh, was a fruit buyer for his his wife's uh, family who did have a, uh, a market uh, front in um, in the uh, produce market uh, in San Francisco. Actually, one of AP's brothers was there at one point because I visited there with my dad one morning at two, 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock, whatever it is, um, and uh, met him. But um, Giannini, uh, I did have a conversation with uh, uh, A.P. Giannini one time when uh, I was with Dad in San Francisco, and uh, uh, he said, oh, let's just go see if he's in the office. And Well, he was in the office, and so we went in the bank, and yes, his desk wasn't in a corner with big windows looking out at the city. It was right in the, with all the others in this big room. And he uh, wanted only to talk about our grandfather. They had been um, really friends. And uh, so, that continued. Um, his daughter, uh, who was Mrs. Hoffman, I believe, um, would call my dad occasionally when she wanted something that uh, Occidental Life Insurance Company, which is owned and by Transamerica, but she was very involved in that. And she would be asking dad um, what he thought of this particular thing or that and uh, Transamerica was the uh, Occidental rather was the uh, entity that financed that uh, pyramid in um, San Francisco so even though it never was called anything but the Occidental or the uh, um, Occidental uh, Transamerica Pyramid, it really was the Occidental Life Insurance Company that built it. And um, what was the uh, was the gold transfer when there was the run on the bank? Was that with oh. your grandfather? <laughs> that, that that's the story I want to get. Oh, okay, get to. well. Um, during the, I guess it's about 32, I think that was the worst run on the banks, that uh, 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 my dad got a call from Giannini that uh, said, uh, would you tell John Brown that um, if he has a run on his bank, which is the Bank of Alex Brown. Yes, and, and <laughs> so uh, my dad did call John Brown and tell him that he had uh, he had uh, A.P. Giannini on his side. Uh, A.P. Giannini had a Lincoln um, with a safe built in under the front seat that has been on display in the Sacramento Automobile Museum for many years that it would be on its way with whatever money might uh, John Brown think he needed. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, that probably was uh, uh, an interesting point because um, you have to work through somebody else. I don't think uh, collision probably would be a big thing if you you uh, actually two pre presidents of banks are discussing which one is going to go broke um, 
and um, as it happened, neither one went broke, right? No, neither one went broke. No, and the, uh, bank, the bank of Cortland um, had um, <laughs> ties with um, Capital National, I think, in Sacramento, that did go broke. And uh, I know that my dad had at one point, he got a phone call. He says, you have too much money in here. They're, they're having a run on the bank. And he had an account with $58,000, which would be 800000 or a million and a half today, I guess. Uh, and he went up and uh, stood in line and, Got his fifty-eight thousand. <laughs> Can you imagine? Carried it over to. Well, that was when um, a school teacher in a full year of teaching made approximately fifteen hundred dollars. So uh, that was a lots of money at that time. So um, the farming. Um, <laughs> interesting occupation my dad would always tell me but it's like any other you need to um, have it financed you need to, to watch it carefully you can't have um, uh, money stolen from you by poor bookkeeping or um, hiring the wrong people and if you manage it and watch it and live on it uh, seemed I think is is an important thing too so you know what is happening day by day it can be very satisfying if you can make all those things come together and uh, actually make a profit and your yields are where they should be, or better. And uh, I can remember when this hail prevention program started on the river, and uh, they asked people for to pay on not an acreage basis, but on a tonnage basis, and um, I, I told the group uh, on 80 acres, our average was about 2,700 tons. People gasped, but that is what we were producing. Um, most people never got over uh, 20 tons an acre. And uh, the difference was enough to actually quite do quite well and uh, <laughs> but that that shocked people at that point um, I didn't I didn't realize actually really what the uh, average was I knew what we were doing did they go after you for your trade secrets <laughs> <laughs> well they just I think just had to look to see. We were, I, I had a couple friends that um, when the harvest was over, they locked the gate and went to Tahoe. And my dad, the day the harvest was over, would say, now, what are we going to do to make it better? And... <laughs> There was no trip to Tahoe on the week following the harvest. Um, and <laughs> that's how I think you make it a success. You have to live it. Um, uh, we did um, enter a corn growing contest. Uh, 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 really, my brother wanted to do it. I didn't think the assessor, uh, knowing the facts that we were growing six tons an acre of corn, would help anybody, help us. And um, so I was uh, really not in favor of it, but 
we we did enter, and uh, the first time we we had a second in the nation, and <laughs> so they were very conscious of thinking maybe we had somehow cheated uh, on the measurement of the, the size of the field or the um, any in some other way. And uh, the next year they sent men from the National Corn Growers Association and we had a bigger, higher amount by three or four hundred pounds. So that was uh, uh, quite a day. I did uh, um, go to, uh, I think it was Orlando, to the International Convention and walk out with a trophy that weighed about 45 pounds, I remember, because I didn't think it was so heavy. I almost dropped it on stage. Uh, <laughs> it's in the office. I, I think you see it, Charles. Yeah. There's two of them there, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, well, let's see. The packing house was a money maker. Um, it never was uh, an elaborate uh, uh, deal, but I think we were the very first that used bins and. Um, uh, so we had to have a bin dump, and because we, the canneries were using bins instead of boxes, uh, we were regrading loads. Uh, maybe in a, uh, after the late part of harvest, maybe we would do 40 loads or something like that for other people. And um, if they had a... a <laughs> If they had 10% defects, they thought that you should take out exactly 10% and you'd have a perfect load. Well, they didn't understand the the grading and uh, you had to take out about 15 or 20% to, to get to a better uh, grade. But we did that for a few years. My dad loved, sort of loved it and he was he was promoting. He was promoting uh, people to come and uh, and get their loads regraded. If we, it was not a moneymaker affair, but it uh, it did some good to help some people save the loads. Childs, did you guys have a packing facility at the same time? Yes, uh, uh, there were there were Pacific number. fruit. Uh -huh. Uh, yeah. No, it was American fruit growers. American, yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, not, not uh, it, it, yes. so I, yeah, American ended up buying Pacific. Oh, that was later, much later. Yeah, yeah. and that's right. You know, um, your dad, your grandfather had Earl, um, Earl Fruit Company. Uh, yes, um, yes, who and Julia Gemignani was his right hand. Italian? Isn't that right? No, I think you're right. Julia. Her her property just had the pears pulled out about a year ago, and it's just a pile of dead trees on that property. That's a bummer. Dennis, who was the monster farmer that owned the Earl Fruit Company? Very famous. I think he was... Uh, Casey? In, inaccurately portrayed in the Grapes of Wrath. Um, uh, oh, H Hester? No. Uh, Grapes of Wrath. Oh, no, no. Oh, it'll, it'll come to me. Um, One more time. Um, he was the character, or the farmer in the uh, Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, and... Uh, George Wilson, um, I uh, always felt that he got a, a very bad rap from that. And he was a real guy DiGiorgio. out here? J.S. DiGiorgio. That's oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, I never never really had knew that story, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
The dude from Grapes of Wrath was from out here, the character? Uh, the grower yeah. they were talking about was a man named, um, what did I just say? I Stein. keep wanting to say APG and you know, it's um, DiGiorgio, uh-huh. J.S. DiGiorgio, uh-huh. and he was a huge farmer, and my grandfather worked for him, and he owned uh, what was known as the Earl Fruit Company, which later became uh, a packing house for uh, Blue Anchor. And what a trip. At some point in time, Dennis sat on the board of Blue Anchor, which was a a, a co-op that representing uh, many, many small packing sheds. Yes, yes, and and several large ones, I guess. In the, it used to be Alec Thomas was a good sized shed. Uh, Placerville Fruit Growers, that was a big shed. I think that was one of them. Yeah, that was um, that uh, that went uh, broke um, by mainly the main thing was when they moved out of Sacramento, they had loaned a Colombian or or Chilean, I'm not sure, money, and they scounded with it. Um, you had to only. They had capital of only a couple of million, really. It wasn't a well-financed um, operation. Dennis, when did you sit on the board, and why did you get off? I got off because I had uh, become involved in uh, Tri-Valley, and um, you shouldn't... <laughs> The time that you spent on uh, on Blue Anchor was very minimal, really. But um, you you wanted to be available to um, for Tri Valley because that was that was a much more active board. And um, tell us your. Um about your board tenure at Tri-Valley? Well, I think that... I'm trying to think of the original year. (laughs) I think I was there 20 years um, and served as vice chairman for maybe 10 or more. Um, it was a, a company that had the potential, huge potential. We hired a CEO who turned out to not really manage, but to annoy and the loss of the best people during his reign was mostly mostly the undoing. And then they they even took a subsidiary and brought the sales of of really um, of uh, of a company that would uh, sell in. The, at best, uh, a pallet loads in with the um, sale of the regular uh, uh, buyers. It uh, then you lost the value of the subsidiary, which was S and W Fine Foods. Um, so when they finally went bankrupt, they even lost the value in that. Dennis, you you were off the board when I was off the board, and I remember sending him a letter to Jim Cooley, who was a good friend. That uh, uh, why are we making these moves? Uh, this is 
this doesn't absolutely didn't make sense. So they they paid maybe eleven million for S and W. I think is right. And probably had grown to be worth twenty or thirty million, but um, we gave it away. When Dennis was off the board, the manager they brought in was named Joe Famolette, and a lot of people, um, uh, myself included, uh, felt that if Dennis was on the board, none of this would have been allowed to happen was the famlet guy some sort of plant no no he, no, no he but he he had managed a um, um sugar uh beet refinery utah um I think they were so glad to get him that they said anything to i did not i did not interview um people in his hometown but uh i think they they were glad to see him go and um it was a huge mistake he 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 had a way i i know one i knew once um when he didn't like what somebody had said maybe it was me and he threw a pencil or a pen down on his desk and it landed in the middle of this rectangular which was the board meeting uh, <laughs> I'd love to have said now you you go get it but um, um, he was so proud of his buying six Porsches and uh, that was his license was something like the six Porsche. Well, you know something's wrong with a man who thinks that is important. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, that was the the, the, the Tri Valley was. It was doing so many things right. It had uh, food service uh, locked up. Um, it had big accounts, uh, Cisco, uh, was using it almost exclusively. And, um, uh, so they were, were growing as these food service organizations grew. They had, um, a way to process tomatoes. They had their, their, um, they had their plant at Volta in exactly the right spot. And I say that only because the present tomato canner who's doing well, uh, Morningstar, Chris Rufer's operation, is uh, puts a plant right near it and then also now is operating that Volta plant. So th that was that was right. They got out of a small plant in um, Stockton that had been doing asparagus, I think, uh, for a Turlock, which became part of Tri-Valley. And the property, uh, other Turlock uh, cooperative growers' main plant was uh, moved, and they had... In Modesto, I guess under one roof at that time was probably the largest fruit um, uh, operation uh, in the world, I would think, under one roof. Still is. Still is. Really? <laughs> uh, it's now run by Del Monte. Uh, sadly... Oh, they, they don't need that much room. Sadly, they, um, <laughs> it's only running at 50% capacity, and that's not sustainable. Um, no. no. But Are they processing all different kinds of fruit there? No, just peaches and pears. Um, the, um, mm. I think Tri-Valley had apricots there, too. You're, yes, I forgot. Yes. 
not tomatoes. Uh, do they have? I don't think they have tomatoes there. Do they? No. I, uh. Can I can I go way back in time for a second? Yes. So when we started talking, you mentioned how you were down in Phoenix, and you uh-huh. said to your family uh, while you were in the Air Force that you <laughs> you might not come back come to the home. business. <laughs> yeah. Um. You obviously have lived a life where you. I mean, got deeply into all different parts of the agriculture farming business. Was it something that you came back to reluctantly or was it, did you kind of know it was in your blood and, and just were maybe almost like afraid of just letting yourself flourish in it? I, I was, uh, uh, I was in love with them. Lady whose <laughs> family were the uh, international harvester dealer in um, the valley. And she and I were getting along very well. And uh, so I just, I think that was the main thing. That, that the reason I was thinking about wanting to stay and uh, I think she'd been married and uh, was a couple of years older than I, but that was that was that was not a problem. <laughs> so so it, wasn't, it wasn't that you had anything against farming. I don't think so. Um, you just were in love. Uh, <laughs> um. I had actually, it, 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 I, I, I grew up at a time where you sort of felt you had to follow what you were told, and, and uh, your parents um, didn't mean to, I think, but they were... Um, I I had a brother 17 years after I was born, Whoa. and uh, they wanted somebody to take care of the property, and because of his age, he was even at that point, uh, you know, never. I, if I was 25, uh, he was eight or whatever it is. And <laughs> so, uh, uh, that, um, uh, there was a, such a gap that it wasn't going to be him. Right. Um, so, y- you. I I never I never really thought I was going to do anything else. I think that's uh, just what I was expected to do that, and um, um, mechanically, I, I I I have the ability to to figure things out uh, clearly. I think, but. Uh, not I may not be the best mechanic. Uh, I had electronic training in the, the service, so I really had a, a, a small education in that. So that helped in the packing house a lot of times, I'll say. Where you had 30 motors running, and you, kn- you knew if you, if you smelled smoke, you were in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, do you remember when you met Charles? Hmm? Do you remember when you met Charles Wilson? Yes, I do. Senior. Um, on uh, I guess it's called Miller Lane. Is that right? Where Paul lives. Yep. And <laughs> uh, I saw three. 
young men wrestling in the front room of the house. And I think they wrestled more when they had company. And <laughs> so that, that's, that's the first I remember. Um, uh, yeah, they... They're how many years apart? Uh, the two two years. Two years apart. Yeah. So the, they were, and child's mother said to me, one time, "You're never going to have children. You're watching this." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so. Um, but we came, we became friends um, to where uh, Childs had said to me a couple different times he was going to do something with the cherry growers and all that. And he, he was asking me that time what I thought of what it was that he was going to do next. And... Uh, so we we were talking to each other um, when uh, Charles was just starting into business career. You must have given him good advice. Oh, well, he's carried it far beyond what anything I've ever thought about. It's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dennis, I quite clearly remember reading an article. Um, and oh god i must have been probably 22 um and the title of the um article was seek out an older person and see if he can become your mentor and i've I've had several, Ross Turnbull, um, John Wheeler, um, uh, and certainly Dennis, but Dennis is my last mentor. Um, the other, the others have passed and all I have left is Dennis now. <laughs> and he's... So I'm trying to be he, a good protege. He, he's... Uh... <laughs> He doesn't have Alzheimer's yet, but close. <laughs> are you speaking about me? Or are you? <laughs> <laughs> Double uh, entendre. 90, 93, 92 plus, 92, almost 93. When is your birthday, Dennis? October 13. Totally. And I, I, I was there on my 90th birthday in his barn, as he calls it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I knew about a year ahead of when he was going to marry Marion because he asked me where I was going to be August, I think. No. Almost a year in advance. O October 4th. October 4th, okay. And because <laughs> uh, he wanted to know if I would drive him and Marion between the church and the reception. And I had a, uh, at that point, a 40-year-old uh, Cadillac. Um, it wasn't a stretched one. It was but the, the biggest one they ever made. It be before they made a uh, one with um, divided uh, and I. So it was gorgeous. Yeah, I uh, drove drove the two of them, and they didn't bring their attendants either. So it was just the two of, of them and myself, and we drove from the wedding to the reception. I guess reception was at the Elks Temple Third and and Florin. Uh, Florin Road? I think so. Yeah. I, I found out later, and this is in true Dennis fashion, um, 
the day before he drove the route to make sure he had it right. (laughs) (laughs) Did you seek out Dennis as a mentor or did it just kind of happen that way? Well, I know I talked to him a lot. Yeah. And, uh, um, Smoked a lot of cigars with him. We uh, did smoke, uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, um, <laughs> you know, I uh, and and I've told this to my kids that are working on growers now. I said it's it's a long process to get a good grower. They, if they come to you immediately, you kind of have to think, well, man, you jump ship awful quick. But I started slow with Dennis I think we did some cold storage work for you and and um, uh, it, it was a long process and uh, another quick story I'd like to say that once you decided to come to us and do the market uh, us do the marketing and um, um, I, I was soliciting another account in Lake County and uh, I was giving my spiel and the grower said to me I don't have to hear any of this I said what do you mean he said I know I'm going to you and I said well why he said because Dennis Leary went to you <laughs> that was Myron Holden Reed now, yeah I forgot who that was Roderick or something My- Myron Holden Reed oh yes yeah okay <laughs> it's a small world in Northern California, huh? Well, the pear business has shrunk greatly. Yeah. Oh and uh, it's down to very few players. Um, Are they almost all legacy growers? Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I got a completely unrelated question. You mentioned all the way back in 1940, Sacramento had a skid row. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. How do you guys feel about what's going on with San Francisco right now? I, I've i lived all over the country and spent a lot of time in New York, and I lived in Chicago, and San Francisco has always been my favorite city. Well, I think what you hear is that it has become truly dangerous. And it's had a very liberal government, and they aren't locking up the villains. They are releasing them onto the street. It's recently had an election, and they tossed out the um, attorney, city, county, is in one. And... uh, so the district attorney now is hopefully in charge. I don't know that it's really changed, but when you hear of the number of automobiles broken into and they tell me a pack of gum on the uh, dashboard will cause you to have a window broken and grab it. Um, I don't know. Do you use your apartment in San Francisco anymore? I was just there yesterday, um, and the walk from the Orpheon Theater back to the apartment was uh, spooky. Very broad daylight. Julia said, "I'm not walking this again." And you're not easily scared. No, but, you know, open drug use and people... Shitting on the street. Yeah. That sucks. um, It it has become a dump. And there's no place to shop. All the, you know, um, Banana Republic's moved out, uh, Lululemon, uh, the... Westfield Mall has completely shut down. Shut down. Yeah, Nordstrom's is gone. Whole Foods is gone. Uh, it, it's it's a it, ghost it, town. It, it is a, it's almost a dump. It's, it's like not a place to functionally live, it sounds like, right no. now. Do you have fond memories of San Francisco? 
Well, you, you, you went for two days every month. I know that. Well, at least two days. I spent, yeah, I spent almost uh, th- uh, three days uh, <laughs> for those 20 years. Um, wow. <laughs> no, I had, a, I had a friend who lived um, right uh, under Coit Tower, and I remember parking my car and asking the valet people to uh, park it so that, uh, but bring it back before they left and I would give them 10 bucks or whatever. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that today under any circumstance. <laughs> um, no, it's... Uh, it has just become a nightmare. I have a niece that lives in the marina. They bought a house. I, I have no idea what they paid for it. They had to have paid a million and a half, I guess, because nothing sells below that. And um, they have a house in Rio Vista also, but that one's... A, that one, uh, Charles, is for them to store his fishing boat in. They uh, He puts it in the garage at an angle, and it just barely fits. Down to the inch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, they, they, they uh, she, she flies for United Airlines, United, yes, and, uh, but they spend... Quite a bit of time with Rio Vista. Now this is Mike's daughter. Yes, I, uh, Bri. Bri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has a, a business there that is quite successful. I think, you know, motor parts, um, switches. That's a. That's what he does. Another little unrelated question, uh, kind of just taking advantage of you guys being in the same room Uh, Dennis you're a mentor to Childs and Childs you've been a mentor to a lot of people Uh, growing up when I would let's say when I got into chiropractic I would people would come into my life that presented as mentors and what I would do when I was younger is I would kind of blindly try to follow everything that that person did And quite often somebody that was a good mentor at a profession wasn't a good mentor at being a good person. And as I've gotten older, I've had different mentors come into my life that taught me professions or skills, but also mentors that have shown me how to be a good man or a good person. What is some advice on how to select a good mentor? My opinion is they need to be significantly older. Okay. And that's just for me. And that, um, and that actually was the thesis of the original article I read. And um, because they've, they've gone through it, you know, they've lived longer and they've had their share of ups and downs and, Often you'll be surprised with the advice they give you. That that's, you know, and uh, uh, you know, most of what Dennis and I talk about is farming. Yes, sir. Uh, but there are a lot of personal things that you know. Um, you know, he, he was of great help to me personally when uh, Marion died, and when Leslie died, and. Um, um, it, 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 he Dennis has a strong emotional connection to the people he loves. Dennis, did you have some good mentors? One in particular had uh, almost no education. Um, he was the son of a roving pastor. And 
he became a very successful businessman. <laughs> His wife was a pretty strong individual, but he uh, and I, I, uh, they adopted me for all practical purposes. And you'd be surprised who it was. It was Merrill Brunk. Yeah. Merrill Brunk. He is that the Brunk Ranch? Yeah, yes, and he had he had uh, well that's Jackie Mellows or the he he gave it they gave it to uh, um uh, Children's uh, Home or Stanford. I uh, guess, uh, yes, uh, um, the Shriners. Shriners. Yeah. He gave it to the Shriners. The Shriners that I know about? Yes. yes. Uh-huh. Shriner, yeah. And 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 so, you know, he, he had said to me, you know, don't be nice to me. Don't be nice to us. You're not going to get anything from us. <laughs> and I can remember thinking, that's not the reason... I, the, the, I went on vacations with him, drove their car. We were at the Canadian border this one time, and they asked if uh, I had uh, any identification with me that would say that my parents were allowing me me to leave the country. No, but I said, I'm driving their car, a brand-new Chrysler Imperial, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, they lived in my grandfather's house, so it was right next to right next to where I was living. So um, he uh, 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 he had time to listen. He was a very interesting man. He didn't need an education. He was smart. Street smarts, common sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we probably should wrap this up and good go, go to point. lunch. Um, I, Sounds good. When the when the uh, tape stops, I do have a story to tell Dennis that uh, he might not know, but I it'll be after. All right. Well, Dennis, thanks for doing this podcasting. You certainly took me by surprise. <laughs> I had. <laughs> Only <laughs> just add it to the list of things you've done. Now you're a podcaster. Yeah. 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 All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Okay. It's Patrick Ely podcast.